Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. Before we get going, I just want to give you an update on how my diet that I announced last week is going in case anyone's following along with their own journey into healthier eating. Let's keep each other motivated. I would love for you to send in your stories, any updates, whatever changes you might be making to become healthier. Uh, What I did was I started a full keto diet last week on Sunday. And as of day seven, which was this past Saturday, I had lost five pounds. I actually lost 4.8 pounds. So it was almost five pounds. And as a former fitness nutrition coach, I feel really responsible to add that one, I am not advocating a particular diet or providing nutritional, medical or any type of advice. Okay, this is just my personal experience during week one of a diet that I'm on. And two, I have no expectation of continuing to lose five pounds a week. Usually when someone starts a diet and it's been a while since they have eaten healthfully, there is a rapid weight loss that is simply due to the body adjusting to the elimination of certain foods, right? So in my case, it's sugars and excess carbs. It's going to slow down. And I know that as with any goal-oriented diet, there's a good chance that I'll hit a plateau. And that's totally okay because my real goal is to comfortably fit back into my clothes after a year of not being able to exercise due to my knee injury. And also I became very reliant on bread. It's so easy to make sandwiches. Like one of my favorite things is to start my day with just slapping peanut butter on really healthy whole grain bread. But that's a lot of carbs, even though it's super healthy. I use peanut butter that only has peanuts and salt in it. I use whole grain bread that's got like 22 grains and nuts and seeds in it. But I just thought, you know, I really need to eliminate all of that stuff. So here I am. And it's really interesting how readily my body has responded to the elimination of more than 90% of sugars in my diet. It's, you know, honestly, sugar has always been the devil for me. And I'm sure at this point, everybody's already heard about its addictive qualities. 
not to mention its role in chronic illnesses, including obesity. So really good riddance to rubbish, right? I worry less about the numbers on the scale in terms of I need to be this number, you know, this number is too high, or this number is not where I want it to be. Those are not things that I worry about. I worked in medicine, as I mentioned in one of my former episodes, for about a decade. And my worry is what those numbers represent in terms of chronic illnesses and quality of life. So I would like my number to be lower as an indicator to me, a a broad indicator to me, right? That my body is in a healthier place than it is right now. So that's why I'm doing it. And I really think that that's one of the best reasons to decide to make a lifestyle change, not just to go on a crash diet or a fad diet or a rapid weight loss diet. That's not really healthy for you. It's not sustainable. And the weight comes back really easily and quickly. So um, the cool thing about this is that I'm already feeling good about embracing this as a lifestyle adjustment. And I might not always be this strict, which is okay. I think that we get so hung up on failure. If we eat one thing that is outside of the strict parameters of a particular diet, we freak out. And it's okay. I mean, life is meant to be enjoyed, you know, not to be constantly calorie counting or super, super militant about what's going into your body. Your body, yes, is a temple, but sometimes there's joy that needs to happen in that temple, right? And also people get hung up on the idea that you're losing water weight, right? Like, oh, well, that's nothing. It's meaningless. And, and I think that's crushing, I think that every ounce should be celebrated if you are on a healthful journey. Again, looking at the numbers as a loose indicator that you're getting to a healthier place and then consulting with your physician to make sure that everything is okay. Always check with a medical expert, right? Um, But I think I'm going to be able to get through Christmas with no problem because it just seems really effortless to me. I don't have cravings. My focus seems better. And so does my sleep and my mood. And I'm definitely feeling more energetic. So anyway, that's my update. I don't want to take away from this fun episode, but I'll just continue giving updates every week so that you can hear how my progress goes. And even if I, you know, fail spectacularly and go on some donut binge or something, I will let you know about that and how I get back on track. Because I think that, again, as a former fitness nutrition coach, that was one of the things that I would educate my clients on. And really, you know, it's reassuring to know that everybody goes off their diet path every once in a while, that things happen, that life happens. And it's not the thing that you're going to be thinking about when you're on your deathbed. Shit, I ate a fucking donut in the middle of my diet. That's not what is going to be on your mind. So what I wanted always to do was to kind of just 
be a little bit more casual about this approach, have diets that were much more user friendly and thought about in a much more approachable and maybe even a little bit more casual way so that that stress doesn't build up. Like you don't have to be stressed out about your diet. Like that should not be a thing. So anyway, enough of that. I will update you again next week and throw some of my dietary nutrition tidbits in there, maybe some of my fitness stuff in there as we go along. But I'm going to go into something that's so cool. And it's kind of like choosing to put magic in your life. And that's gardens, because they are magical in a special way that only those who dare to get their hands dirty and try to make something so foreign and beguiling and beautiful as plants knows about, right? I mean, plants, gardens in whole are like hope and love and frustration and joy and wonderment and motivation all balled together, but also spread across seasons of blossoms and bare branches that cycle around again to exquisite buds in the spring. There's no end to the quotes that you can find about gardens. The lovely Audrey Hepburn suggested that to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. And I love that. It's so, it's so hopeful. Michael Pollan, who is an author, a journalist, he's a professor of science and environmental journalism at Berkeley, reflects that gardens are places where nature and humans can meet halfway. And I think that is really awesome because we give something to the garden by tending it and the garden gives back by producing, right? And this is really lovely. And, you know, even the famous Impressionist Claude Monet, who painted all of those beautiful flower scenes, the water lilies, he said his garden was his most beautiful masterpiece. I'm sure it was. I mean, he loved flowers. It probably was inspiration for many a painting for him. We are smitten by gardens, and this episode is dedicated not just to gardening, but to one specific garden. My cousin Gina, who is a retired astronomy educator, she's a leather tooler, a mosaic artist, an accomplished baker and cook, and just amazingly creative. It's insane the amount of creativity that comes out of this lady. She has spent over a decade building an incredible oasis on 900 square feet of desert in the middle of Tucson that she calls her backyard. And I think that as we move into much more sustainable small spaces, this is amazing. I have a rather enormous yard. And I have a lot of food that I produce back there. Like I'm going to have to go out there and pick more olives. There's still actually olives on my olive tree. And I've got eggplants that need to be picked. But I still have a hard time figuring out how to create enough shade to create sustainability underneath it. 
And that's something that Gina has accomplished. So in this first of a two-part episode, we're going to weave through how her garden started, her inspirations from mentors, lighting, which is really important for you to be able to enjoy your yard in the evening, right? And so much more. So please grab a cuppa and join Gina and I in this In the Company of Friends Talks and listen as she proves another quote wrong. Kipling's assertion that gardens are not made by singing, oh, how beautiful, and sitting in the shade, because that is exactly what Gina does. Enjoy. So it's at the end of the day that we're talking. It's about to get pitch black over here because we're still on the whole falling back an hour, springing forward, the whole daylight savings on and off time schedule here. But I don't think Arizona does that, right? No, actually, we don't switch time. Most of the state of Arizona does not change time. We stay in mountain standard, I think is what we're in. We're an hour later than you. But the Navajo Nation within Arizona does change time. Interesting. Yeah. So over here, it's 4.43. Are you 5.43? Yes. And the sun just set. The horizon. uh, So I'm sitting in my backyard and my backyard faces directly west and I'm on a bluff. So I get some city light view so I can see the city light starting to show up in the twilight and the mountain range I think those are the Arizona mountains to the west so they're all silhouetted right now so I just see them black and above them depending which direction I look because I have a panoramic view I can see 180 degrees from my backyard So sort of toward the south of west, the sky is still kind of orangey. And the more north of west I look, the darker it gets in that direction. Mm -hmm. It is such a beautiful sunset view. Oh my gosh, yes. You know, I like to say I have a $1,000 rent for million dollar view. (laughs) It's just crazy. But I was thinking earlier today before... We started talking about one of the things I really love about my garden and that I look as very beneficial. And actually the sun setting is part of it. And it's part of my daily ritual. I think I have a really good circadian rhythm because I spend so much time out in my garden. So I tend Mm. to get up around the time that the sun is rising. And by the time the sun is setting, I'm kind of ready to settle into bed. Even when it's only going on six o'clock, my brain is already like it's nighttime and it's time to go to sleep. (laughs) Most people are functioning on artificial light, right? Yeah. And you're functioning on truly natural light because it's coming in through your sliding door and you are spending so much time outside. Yeah, I probably spend, I would say, at least 75% of my day out in my little backyard. So I get sunlight all the time. That's so idyllic. It is. And I kind of stay sun adjacent. Like, I kind of stay in the shade. Mm-hmm. Which is smart for your skin. And right. Making sure that you're minimizing those UVs. 
Yeah, and so I try to, when I'm working in the yard, I work in the parts that are in the shade. And so I'll rotate around the garden throughout the day, depending on where the shade is. Mm -hmm. It's great that you stay sun adjacent because there's so much shade in your backyard. And your backyard is in Tucson, Arizona, in the middle of the desert. And it's full of shade. It's an oasis. It's this beautiful almost tropical garden that didn't start out that way. I think that's not only a testament to your creativity and tenacity, but also the way that you think, because I know that there was a lot of planning going into these shade areas so that plants could grow. I think it's hilarious that you think any planning went into anything back there. <laughs> I was trying to make it sound really good. <laughs> that that gives no, no. I do have some long range planning, but like I don't have a gardening journal. I don't keep track very much of anything. I'm very observant. I'm very observant. And that is just my nature. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I have to start writing something down, that to me is work. And my garden is zero work for me. Does it make me sweat? Yes. Does it make me hurt? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Scratch that hell out of myself yesterday on my bougainvillea oh. let me tell you oh god but um it's not work it's been my relief from work and so my planning is extraordinarily minimal and it's kind of is there something i want to do today in the yard is there something i feel like doing today but maybe i'll do it tomorrow cuz right now when i'm thinking about it my eyes are staring at the sun trying to do this project <laughs> you know I'll do that tomorrow morning. Or is there something I want to do to prepare for the next season? Or something that's going to make me work really hard and so like, eh, I'll get around to it. Or silly chores. I did little chores today. They need to be done and they're not very gratifying, you know, but you still have to do them. Like I had right. to, I had to relocate four of my sprinkler nozzles in my irrigation system. You know, pulling out these little plugs, pushing new ones into other little holes. It just it hurts my fingers, and I don't really want to do it. But mm-hmm. I did it. I've needed to do it for two years. You know, so I finally got around to it. <laughs> so it kind of sounds like. You're painting a picture that's in your mind with plants. It's probably more like that, maybe more like a mosaic. Mm -hmm. Finding the right piece that fits into the little, into whatever the space is. Like, what is that shape? What is that color? What is the architectural structure of the plant like does it go straight up with a poof on top does it go wavy out to the left and right does it go up and droop over that's the same way that I think about interior decorating in my house actually first I think of the shape that's missing and then I think of the colors and kinds of things that could go there is it a painting 
Is it a sculpture? Is it a light? Is it a plant? Is it a, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I just know what shape it has to be because that's the shape that needs to go there. I'm going to use feng shui in a really broad sense of feng shui because there's so much that people who know that, that is important to them. I don't know if it's the analytical side of my brain or what, but when I look at space, I just can kind of see the whole and what needs to be there. I don't know if that's analytical or more like it feels right to me in a feng shui, not really feng shui, I don't have another word for it. <laughs> it feels settled, it feels right. And I could wiggle that thing. Once I get it, whatever it is, I might spend an hour wiggling it, a teeny, a centimeter, a quarter of an inch, this way, that way, right, left, you know, <laughs> look at it from 360 degrees and then poof, that's the right spot. And my brain goes, choo, 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 choo. <laughs> cascade of money runs out jackpot <laughs> you know what it really is it makes mm. me smile mm. my brain is just like it's satisfied like it just got its little endorphin burst or I don't know but my brain just went ah oh, that's right and so it doesn't feel analytical to me because I feel like if it were analytical, I'd know exactly where to put it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to wiggle it into the right place because I don't quite know until it gets there. But it seems to me that you're analyzing mm. color, you're analyzing shape, you're like that part. But then, the, and so it's not, yeah. it's not purely analytical. Once you've gotten that part done, then there's this creative burst that comes in and yeah. just tweaking things for that long, you know, to make sure that they are exactly where they belong. Because your interior decorating, like you mentioned, and your garden really have a flow to them. So maybe feng shui is the right word in that broad sense that there is flow, there's comfort, everything connects to the other elements that are in that space in a graceful way that's pleasing to the eye and comforting, I think, to the spirit. You know, like I could spend all day in your garden and I could spend all day in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> I do spend all day in my garden. <laughs> it's got that welcoming sense about it. And it's also exuberant. Thank you. So how did it start? Because it was originally more of a patch of dirt back there. <laughs> yes. And that is exactly what it was. It was actually a patch of dirt with little red gravel, teeny rocks all over the top of it. Oh, and I said I lived on a bluff, literally on a bluff. So if you kept walking west, you'd fall off of my yard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a long way down. Yes. But it's a yard. I mean, I hadn't had a yard since I was in my 20s. And so the first thing I got, I was actually thinking about that today. I think I got three plants on the same day. 
and two of them are called elephant bush or elephant feed bush. Uh, it grows in Africa and the elephants eat it. And another one is called euphorbia and they're all succulents. The euphorbia looks kind of like a saguaro cactus in miniature form, but you know, with lots of arms like that, you know, that go up. Mm -hmm. So I still have those three plants. That's how it started. I have people say to me, oh my gosh, this is your garden. I could never do that. Well, it's just like anything. You just have to start. So you get a plant and you try to make it live. Right. <laughs> and you get another one. And In a place that has record highs of like 117 degrees and record lows of six degrees. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if during the time that you've lived there, it's gotten that low. Yeah. So the, the record low that I have lived through in Tucson, Arizona, was one week in April, probably like 10 years ago. For that whole week, it never got over 17 degrees. Oh my God. For the whole week. I lost a lot of plants that year. I can imagine. Gardening makes you, I think if it works right, gardening has a lot of life lessons in it. You know, these are, they're all living things. And mm -hmm. each of them has their own particular needs. It might be similar in needs to another plant. It could even be the same exact plant. But there's these little changes, you know, that make it require different things from you as the caretaker of the space. So I guess I've been trying to grow a garden since my first garden when I was about eight years old. My Mom and I lived in Lucadia, California, and my mom has this friend, Alice, mm -hmm. and Alice helped create a garden in the backyard for me, and it was square, and it was terraced up, kind of like a pyramid with four sides, and each tier stood up on the other one, so there was a tier on the ground, and then another tier went in from that and up higher, and another box in that. So I think there were three tiers. It's still a very creative way of gardening. But the next day when I woke up, there was a ginormous zucchini that was growing out of that top little box. It was like magic. And in my mind, that happened. Overnight, that zucchini grew out of the garden into this beautiful zucchini. What it was in reality was my mom's friend, Alice, sticking a full-grown zucchini in the ground in that top thing with the little, you know, like the little wooden stem part, like poked into the ground. Like that's how it grew. <laughs> oh my God. It's like Gina and the zucchini stock instead of Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> the magic, yes. the, those magic seeds that went in there and just grew up into the clouds. Oh my God. Yeah. So I wake up in the morning. I've never had a garden before. I'm like in third grade and I go out there to check on it. And it is like Jack and the Beanstalk. I got this huge thing growing out of the top of my garden. And I will tell you, the gardening bug never left. I never suspected that Alice did that. That took decades for me to realize, you know? Oh 
That's funny. We're so impressionable as kids. And that is a really good impression to carry around. Well, you know what I, I didn't realize until a couple years ago here, just really just a couple years ago, how since that moment, I've been working toward creating a garden. There was one other person who was really memorable in my life, too, with respect to gardening. When I lived in Ojai, when we first moved there, I was like 10, 11 years old. In Miner's Oak, there's this one mansion house. It's really beautiful, and it's kind of tucked away, and it doesn't fit into the neighborhood at all because it's the, like, ranch house when that used to be a whole ranch. And the part that that house is on had like a little caretaker's house. But that, that opposite corner on that one block where that fancy mansion was, this little cottage house, and there was a woman who lived there, and her name was Pita. She's British. And I can't tell you how old she was. Like, was she in her 20s? Was she in her 40s? I don't know. She's kind of hip, so she couldn't have been older than 40 in my mind, I don't think. You know what I mean? To a kid. Mm -hmm. And I would walk by, you know, just strolling through the neighborhood, whatever. And her garden was so beautiful. I can't quite picture it now, but overhanging trees and a stucco fence on the outside and her little cottage with all of these pane windows in it and she taught me how to have a proper English tea and oh, how fun. when to use milk and not. And yeah, just all of these little things, you know. And she just lived by herself in that cottage. I don't remember anyone ever else being there except she would invite me in sometimes. And I just felt very comforted while I was there. And that yard was so magical. And after I moved away from Ojai, I always lived in apartments until, I mean, I still live in an apartment, but I didn't have a yard until I moved into this apartment. So I had plants on the balcony in every place that I lived or the little patio, whatever it is. I always seem to be stuffing it full of plants, right? <laughs> which is like Grandma Al, right? Yes. I used to say that lady could make doorknobs grow on trees if she just stuck a doorknob in the ground. Because <laughs> that's how I believed her to be able to grow. It was just, it was just really amazing. Her ability to just get plants growing. And so those three have really been my gardening inspiration. You know, when I take one plant and stick it in the dirt somewhere else to see if I can make another plant, you know, mm -hmm. that is Grandma Al. And when I'm trying to make it sort of cottagey or tropical, which is sort of going on its own that way, it's kind of funny, you know, I get that from PETA. And looking after someone, you know, like, I don't know what motivated her to look after me, but she was looking after me as well as she was looking after her backyard. Mm -hmm. And... Alice giving me that excitement and wonder about what can happen in your yard in the blink of an eye. <laughs> Maybe you won't grow a ginormous zucchini, however. But, you know, I think anybody that's grown zucchinis will say, oh, yeah, they grow that big in the blink of an eye. Once they are going, you think you've gotten all the zucchinis and then you lift that one leaf 
Uh under there is like you know the nine pound zucchini and you're like oh my god what am I going to do with this you know (laughs) (laughs) exactly oh I have some really good recipes but that is just really magical that you were able to bring those threads together and kind of braid them to create this gardening mosaic oh I forgot to mention Norm Norm was also very influential in my gardening. He was my former father-in-law, and he was the gentlest, kindest, sweetest man, almost like my grandpa Lon in how sweet, Mm. just a sweet, kind person. And he was an arborist, but he was self-trained from like a kid working as a gardener when he was 16 years old for someone else, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I met him, he lived in the valley off of like White Oak. So, but just a very normal suburban area. And he had a jacaranda tree in his front that was so amazing. And it was so much more beautiful than any other purple jacaranda that I'd ever seen. And What was different about his tree was how he let the beauty of the under, under the canopy of the tree show through so that you could stand out the trunk of the tree and look up and just appreciate the splendor of the branches and how they create the shape of the tree on the inside. And so I, I would talk with him about that. How do you achieve that? And it's basically following basic, you know, like three guidelines or something for pruning trees, but it works pretty well for all of them, though. Sydney, my daughter, would say I go mm-hmm. to extremes. <laughs> I'd say her trees were left alone for too long, and so it had to be extreme, but <laughs> they're doing very well now. <laughs> They are, and they're beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes, you've trained them well. I've tried. She's still really (laughs) pissed at me about the fig tree. I have to give her a better, I haven't given her an apology for not listening to her after she Uh said, I'm sad, you know, like, I really liked the tree, the way the tree looked before. I keep just saying, but, but now, but in the future, but, and I haven't yet said, I'm sorry. I should have asked you before I started pruning your Before I gave it that extreme haircut that is going to take a bit into the future to get it back to where you like it. Right? But I promise it'll be better. It'll come back and it'll be beautiful. I mean, really, probably by summertime, it's going to be the star of the yard. I feel as if that can be the case and hopefully will be the case in the future. It just, see, but this is why I can't justify, if I had my own fig tree, which I started growing, I would have taken very different care of it over the years, you know? So it's not, it's like just, it's a tree that's had a hard life. I mean, for Christ's sake, its major limbs are hollow. How does it have branches? I don't even know that are alive. I don't even know. Because in these hollow, it's like hollow. There's oak trees growing in it. (laughs) I'm not even kidding you. I pulled on this little leaf and uh, the acorn came out with the roots and the leaves and the, yeah. A whole acorn growing in a fig tree, in the fig tree, actually in it, in the middle of its. Yeah. 
it, it was a whole ecosystem unto oh, itself. It was. It was. A little world, a whole secret world inside of this fig right. tree limb. And that is kind of magical in itself. Um, although I, I've got, well, I had two fig trees and I loved my fig trees. I had a purple fig and I have a green fig and they were planted next to each other. And in the summertime, they generated this sugar, just amazing sugar scent. And it was heady and you could sit in between the two of them and Ah. just breathe that in all day long. It was really wonderful. And that purple fig had put out more fruit than I had Mm. ever seen on that fig. I mean, we could not pick enough of it. I was making pies and drying it and, you know, just every kind of fig thing, fig pizzas and all kinds of wonderful things. And there was a whole batch that I knew I'll be able to pick all of these and make some jam or something. And I walked out there and the tree was on the ground. It broke. Oh, I remember seeing a picture of that now that you mention it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It broke my heart. Yeah. That happened to Sid and Glenn's uh, blood orange tree one year. Had too much fruit on it. It's so funny when you think you have, like, you know, the notion that to pick away fruit that needs more ripening, like to sacrifice some fruit for the growth of the other fruit so that it doesn't harm the tree. Like, there's all these things that are so counterintuitive. Like, I want all the fruit I can get from my tree. Exactly. Well, if you grow all that fruit on your tree, you might break your tree. (laughs) Yes. But I'm kind of wondering, did my tree break because it was hollow on the inside? Because I'm just wondering if this is something that's endemic to fig trees, that they do hollow out on the inside because the other one. This did. How old was it? Oh, God, they must have been planted when this house was around the same time that this house was built. And this oh, house maybe. was finished in 1936. Sure. Absolutely. Could have absolutely been the reason. Yeah, it was almost 100 years old. And so this other one is now older. And I'm noticing this hollowing and especially down at the base, Isn't which worries me because... I'm thinking, oh, it's just going to fall over one day. I'll have to do some more research on Mm -hmm. figs. I planted a fig from our gardening extension, you know, from the University of Arizona here. Uh They have like a master garden and master gardeners. And twice a year they have a plant sale. So I got a fig tree for eight bucks. It's like this one the trunk that's about four inches tall and it's got, you know, three other sticks that come out of it that are each about three inches tall. But you know what's on the tip of every one of those sticks? A little teeny bud of buds. Yes. Yeah. I'm so excited. And it's like a green pink fig and I'm going to dry it and do everything with it. I love, 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 love going out in your yard and picking something and being able to make food out of it. Right. I'm with you. Not everything in the garden has to be edible, but I like having edible things. And this year, 
one of the things I decided to try was growing food scraps, things that you would normally or frequently throw away. So for instance, you buy a bunch of scallions and you chop the root end off and you throw those in the trash or your compost pile or whatever it is you personally do with the end of them. <laughs> I don't compost, so that's not what I'm doing with them. So normally I would throw that in the trash. So instead, I planted them in my garden. Just the little tip end, like maybe with a half an inch above the root. The same on any kind of onion. And every time I bought a bowl of garlic, I planted three cloves. And I only did it for one potato, but I peeled a potato and I planted the pieces that had eyes on them. Not the whole potato, just the peel part. And I have potatoes growing in my garden right now. I have about 10 potato plants. And those onions are still growing. What happened over the whole year was amazing. I don't know if you have noticed or I've told you, but that big planting bed I have in my backyard, it's like the top of a heart. Oh. Yeah. I think you did tell me that <laughs> where the rocks are, right? Yeah. So you're like sort of looking at a heart. You're looking at it from the top. Yes. And the peak points towards that seating area, but yeah. off yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So I planted the little root ends of the scallions about every three inches around that heart. And some of them got to be three feet tall with big, poofy allium pom-poms. Alliums are amazing. Yeah. These were like poofs that were maybe three or four inches in diameter. White flowers. Just beautiful. Just beautiful. And I ate them. We ate them the whole year long. We're still eating them. I have not purchased a green onion since February sometime. That feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, it it feels really good and it's really neat. They're like out here. Plus I can say like, would you like some fresh scallions on your salad? (laughs) Let me tiptoe out the backyard and just get those for you. (laughs) And then I took a paddle of cactus from my friend's yard because they have a really smooth paddle. I thought that would be beautiful for cooking with. And it's taller than me now. And I have two plants. Is that the purple opuncha that you have? It's not the purple one. I have the purple one's very slow growing. And it's very, very purple. And it's It's very, very purple. So so, uh, to put my yard in some context, Mm -hmm. it's a rectangle. And as you were saying, it started off gravel. And it's almost 900 square feet. So it's pretty big. My apartment is almost a thousand square feet. So compared to my apartment, it is nearly as big. So like doubles my living space. And then I've separated my yard, uh, I guess about two years ago, into having sort of an inner yard with a short two and three quarters foot fence. And that's my inner yard. And then there's the outer yard past that fence. There's like another 10 feet or so. So the part that's on the outside, well, the whole reason for putting the fence up in the first place is because we have javelina here, which are those big wild boar looking things. (laughs) (laughs) I remember 
that you had some pumpkins on oh, your my. front porch. Yes. And you couldn't yes. get in the house because they came to eat your pumpkins. Yes. I was in the house and Crystal was out. And I had to send her a message that was, hey, Crystal, don't bother coming home yet. You can't get in the door. <laughs> the Havelina <laughs> are eating all of our pumpkins. Oh it's a God. thing out here. October is the month of Havelina mayhem throughout Tucson. Well, I'm sure anywhere there's Havelina. Because, you know, people put pumpkins out and the Havelina just walk through and eat them. <laughs> it's their favorite fruit. <laughs> It's their treat. That's their Halloween treat. Yeah, they love it. They love it. I'll tell you, gardening out here, well, if you want to be successful, you have to have this very, I also don't know if Zen is the right word, but this Zen attitude (laughs) about gardening because I have had Havelina eat the plants out of my garden so many times. So many times. I've lost so many plants. That can be so upsetting. Oh, my God. Yes. And the first time it happens is the worst that you feel about it. And then you either have to come to grips with the fact that it can happen. And so you live with it. Or, you you know, it's like this flow chart of what you're willing to put up with or not. (laughs) Right. So finally, I put a fence up. And you have to. I really resisted it, but there are these little kangaroo rats. They're freaking adorable. But this thing (laughs) has like eaten all the new branches off of one of my peach trees. No. uh... And it ate my big fat camellia bud off of (gasps) my camellia bush. I mean, there's more buds coming on, blah, blah, whatever. But anyway, I'm like, more than your fair share, dude. More than your fair share. That's all I say. Do not take more than your fair share. (laughs) How do you keep kangaroo rats out? They can dig. So right now, I'm having a case of wherever I fill up the rock, he just burrows past it. So I don't know. Mr. McGregor's farm over here. I wonder if you could wrap the trunk in chicken wire. Yes, but there's other things that are growing there. And when you put chicken wire around something, plants, I don't know how they do it, but plants sense what they're growing next to. There has to be a physical thing for how that happens. Maybe it's along its roots. I don't know. But they grow around things, you know. And so what I have found, and I learned this the hard way this year, I had all of these lovely tomato plants that self-started from tomatoes that were growing in my garden the year before. And because I wanted to be more in charge of them, I decided to put chicken wire around them. And they grew as tall as the chicken wire in a state of failure. Because the tomato plant's like, I got to get out of this cage. So it's just growing up and up and up. And nothing that is inside that chicken wire is flourishing. Not one single branch, no leaves. They try to poke up, just wither away. Hmm. Yeah, every single one. I had eight plants, different places in the yard. The common thing between all of them 
was that chicken wire being around them. And I didn't have it right around them. You know, I think that's why the tomato things, they're conical. They're skinny at the bottom and they keep getting bigger and they don't have very many rings. So the spaces are really big. And it allows the branches to poke through in between those spaces. Yes, yes. So it's just to give the plant some structure, but not to contain it in a more aggressive manner. Right, right. And I don't like the look of chicken wire anyway. There's so many things. Yes, I could do this. Yes, I could do that. Yes, I could do this. Yes, I could do that. All of it would create better yield. All of it would do something. It would not aesthetically please me to look at it. And so, <laughs> I mean, that is an important part, especially, like I said earlier, that you're painting with plants and some elements. You have some beautiful rocks, you have bird baths, you have lighting, you have furniture out there, you have the fence, and they're all pleasing to the eye. There's an aesthetic flow to it all. And yeah, if you Thank throw you. something in like chicken wire, It would be the equivalent of letting my wires and cables show in the house. Yes, which you hide so expertly. Plugged into anything in my house, it drives Crystal insane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because all of that's like the business end of the household. Yes, there's lighting, but you don't need to see how I make it get electricity. And so it's like, yes, I have a garden, but you don't need to see. And I don't want to see. It's not just for the visitor. It's for me. I don't want to see it. It is not aesthetically pleasing to my eye. (laughs) No, you are a very good set designer that creates the magic without showing how the the trick was achieved. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I never thought of it as set designing, but yeah, sure, I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I do outside and inside in my house. If I am wondering, like, should I put something else in here? Shouldn't I? What? You know, like I take pictures and I look at the picture with my eyes that I look at a magazine with. Like you might see an ad of of a living room or, you know, whatever, like how that looks. There might be empty spaces, but that's because it's a minimalist picture environment. You know what I mean? I'm not a minimalist. So I will No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) You're very colorful and and there's some flamboyance there, but it is all aesthetically pleasing. You're wowed by it. It's not over the top, but it is very colorful and in a very good way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I use pictures that I take to show me the empty spaces because they're more obvious in a picture than when you're standing in a room. In a picture of my living room or of a space in my garden, the empty space is glaring. That's how I see it. So that is one tool that I use to sort of think about what I might do next. That's such a good tip. That really helps me as like a really concrete tool that I can use in the garden. The other really concrete things, I have an entire rainbow of colors that I use. And I know what those colors are. And so they're seared in my brain. You know, like I know when a color matches my yard or not. I don't even have to think about it. So having a rainbow to work with really gives me a lot of freedom. So how do you create your rainbow? 
Yes. Because there's lots of rainbows that you can have, depending on what color scheme you like. And the shades of each color of, you know, what's your red? What's your green? What's your yellow? And I think that most people can put two colors together that they really like. It's easy to find two colors that fit together. Sometimes people have a hard time. I think I have a hard time. What's the third color that goes with this thing? Like I had all of the Granny Smith apple and eggplant and the sage greens and other shades of purple forever. Green and purple, green and purple, green and purple, green and purple. And then I figured out the pink that went with it. And once I had the pink, that told me what the orange and the yellow and the everything else had to be with it. It just went together. So if you're looking at a color wheel, they're segmented. So yeah. the green starts out very dark at yeah. the tip and mm -hmm. it gets lighter and lighter and lighter the further out that you go from that color wheel. Go and, and each one is called a tone, right? So are you choosing colors within a particular tone in your mind? Yeah. So, you know, you could have very light pink or you could have pink that's almost red. Right. But there's a particular pink that goes with the orange and the green and the purple right. and the yep. blue. Yes. Yes. So that's exactly how you can use, like, I didn't do it with a color wheel, but boy, it should be easy if I had one to think about it when I started. But the way that I use that color wheel is just like you said, my rainbow that I use is a circle around you know, you find the bubblegum pink, find the aquamarine, you know, the, that real blue of the sky and a tangerine orange, the Granny Smith apple green, you know, those are my colors. They're all those really bright, vibrant colors. But then within a color, you know, like that Granny Smith apple, there's so many shades within there. You don't have to be exact, you know. So there's all sorts of colors in that area that you can use for green. So there's your color wheel. But I want to keep spreading out the colors. It's really easy to get too much orange this year, too much pink next year, too, you know, as I'm putting things in the garden. And I realized when I use more than one color at a time, doesn't matter if it's with plants or I'm doing a mosaic or I'm painting one of my pots. I discovered I'm always using two pools and a hot or two hots and a cool. Mm. It's always that. So pink and orange and purple or pink and orange and green or green and blue and orange, something like that. So it helps me. And I just discovered that about myself. I didn't have that rule in place, but now I realize that's what I was, have been doing. <laughs> I wanted to circle back to something you said about how the inside of the house flows with the outside of the house. Mm -hmm. I've done that purposefully and um, my lighting, I'm very aware of my lighting and I try to have really good lighting and I try to light up the corners and decorate the corners. And when I'm having company, I don't want there to be a noticeable transition between daytime and nighttime and inside and outside. So that if you come over during daylight and you stay until sunset and after sunset, you will not have been in the dark if I planned it right and turned my lights on at the right time. 
And so you don't notice that it's nighttime. You're just still enjoying where you are. I'm looking at a picture that I took when I was there recently in in your garden. Mm -hmm. And I think I took that picture probably 1030 in the morning. So it's very bright and sunny. And I know that's a huge contrast to what it looks like right now. Yes. If you walk from the inside to the outside, the lighting is the same intensity, the same brightness. So the inside lighting is not different from the outside lighting and it doesn't hurt your eyes. Right. Right. No, that's true. See, I'm telling you, it's analytical. You're you're <laughs> analyzing you're analyzing the shades, the the quality of the light. You're saying I want the inside of my house to have the same light throughout the day as the exterior light, the natural light, and I would like it to continue to flow into the evening. I just think that's marvelous. Well, thank you. Thank you. It comes from both my own physical needs. Lights hurt my eyes. So I don't Mm -hmm. want to be in a dark space, but I don't want the lights to hurt my eyeballs. So I'd rather have more dimmer lights than one really bright one. That makes sense that you can achieve brightness with a single super bright light bulb, but you could also achieve a different quality and intensity, but an equal amount of brightness with numerous lights that are of lower intensity. Yes. That's going to be interesting for me to hear my sentence again when I edit. I'm going to be like, what? I... (laughs) I thought, no, 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 it's good. You know, Did it's it make like, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an <laughs> equation, right? Four plus zero equals four, or eight times one half equals four. You can get to four many ways. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and the reason it's important that the daytime to nighttime flows is that often when you're entertaining, it's that transition from daytime to nighttime that causes people to stop and leave. You have a lot of shimmery light outside too that is fun to look at and it is very interesting. It does light up the space nicely. Yeah, that was really important for me and to get lighting as far away from the back door as possible, you know, Mm -hmm. to like really make this an entire living space that you can just flow in and out of the house. Just It's just another part of the house. Right. And you have broken up your yard into different living areas. So there's the big seating area around the fire pit. Mm-hmm. There is, of course, the back porch itself. And around the corner next to your little fountain that is really wonderful (laughs) there's a more intimate two-person seating area and I think there's still one more seating area that I'm forgetting about there's four other seating areas actually a fifth yeah I'll tell you all of them it's crazy I know it's insane there's like 30 chairs out here or 30 chairs and I forget it's crazy so there is the fire pit area as you said, and the patio area. So that's the concrete slab that comes out from the sliding glass door 
and it has a roof over it than north of there. There, the, the little more intimate area you were talking about, I think the Adirondack chairs, is that what you meant? The rainbow ones? Yeah. Now I was skipping past those, although I did, I was looking at them in the picture. I was talking about the two smaller chairs that are over by your shed. Oh yeah. That is a very nice little intimate area. Yeah. Yep. So there's a little spot there and there's also a little stepping stool that someone can sit on back there. So three people can sit back oh. in that little corner if they want to. Then right next to the pond, there's actually a singular chair. So you can sit there and commune with the fish and feed them or whatever. <laughs> and then past the ponds, there's another little chair over there. There's the seating at the bar. Oh, yes. And then outside of the fence, there's a bench facing west. And there's also just a singular chair under my lime tree on the outside. One spot gives you this view of the Tucson Valley that goes as far south as you can see. You can't see it from anywhere until you get that far out in my yard. So it's a nice place in the morning to just go out there and look across the valley. Gina is such a magical, thoughtful person that produces so much creative beauty around her. And I'm really lucky that I get to call her cousin. I hope that this episode inspired you to plant something in your garden or your balcony or your windowsill because plants produce joy just because they exist. In fact, I've got this Christmas cactus on my windowsill that for most of the year is really easy to overlook. It just is a bunch of these claw-shaped segments linked to one another, right? But now, now, it has dozens of pink conical buds that are going to bloom into exuberant flowers. And I can't wait for that. It's all in thanks for regular waterings. That's magic. So get a plant. Also come back next week when we discuss the healing qualities of gardens and gardening. And take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So please be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, The Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, magic, gardens to stroll in, elegance, and beauty. <laughs>